From Bloomington, Indiana, welcome to Prescription for Healthcare on WFHB Community Radio, sponsored by Medicare for All Indiana. I'm Karen Greenstone, along with Dr. Rob Stone. Hello. Today on Prescription for Healthcare, we will be talking with Dr. Diljeet Singh. Dr. Singh specializes as an integrative gynecologic oncologist and women's health advocate. She also has a doctoral degree in public health. She is the Vice President of Physicians for a National Health Program, PNHP. Dr. Singh lives in Norfolk, Virginia. Welcome to Prescription for Healthcare, Dr. Singh. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you both for having me. Dr. Singh recently participated with Dr. Carol Paris, our guest last month on Prescription for Healthcare, at the annual meeting of PNHP in a breakout session to talk about moral injury. I hope listeners who have not heard the interview with Dr. Carol Paris will listen to it on the WFHB website. Moral injury is described as a specific trauma that arises when people face situations that deeply violate their conscience or threaten their core values. Those who grapple with it can struggle with guilt, anger, and a consuming sense that they can't forgive themselves or others. Dr. Diljeet Singh, Will you please tell our listeners about your discussion with your physician colleagues at the PNHP annual meeting? Thanks so much for talking about this. And it was really a wonderful discussion. Carol and I weren't sure how it would be perceived or taken up. And certainly we tend to have very policy-driven sessions on reviewing legislation and looking at what's out there. And we weren't sure if this would resonate And it was really quite amazing. The other part of it that was really impressive to me was that over half of the group who came to our session were medical students. And to me, that spoke volumes to how much people are thinking and feeling, but especially people entering the field who are looking at it almost from the outsiders still, right? Medical students are obviously on the inside, but have not yet been in practice. And the thing we heard from several students was that they could see things that weren't working, but their perception was that the attending physicians they were working with didn't feel comfortable expressing their dissatisfaction with the system or problems they were having. And I think that is a big part of it. Certainly how I was taught when we had trouble in our clinic and something was a mess, you automatically apologize for it or Somebody has to wait, but you apologize for it. And I certainly spent a certain amount of time apologizing for, I'm so sorry, your insurance company doesn't cover this, or I'm sorry, we haven't been able to schedule your surgery yet because it hasn't been approved yet. I really learned in a way that I can say, I'm sorry that it's working out this way, but your insurance company is in the way of us getting your surgery scheduled and we're working with them as best we can. But This piece of how hard it is to, for students, for example, to see somebody come into the emergency room and not understand why we just can't take care of them and fix something. And for students, it seems like such an obvious problem versus for an attending who has gotten in trouble for their uncovered billing or whatever it is, that's not something they're going to see in the same way. And so it was very interesting to me what resonated with the students. And then, of course, our PHP members who, have this strong sense of 
needing to fix a system that is being driven by profit motives as opposed to patient-centered motives, but not always giving voice to this feeling of we're just not doing the right thing. And I think that's really challenging. Earlier, we were talking a little bit about this issue of morality in this setting of practicing medicine. And for a very long time, certainly when I went to med school in the early 90s, we just talked about doing the best thing for patients and helping patients make the best decisions they could. And over time, these changes have happened slowly that, oh, this might be the best drug, but wait, your prescription plan doesn't cover it. Or you really should get your surgery within four weeks of cancer diagnosis, but we haven't gotten it cleared by insurance. And we can't get your echocardiogram because those aren't available or you have to see a cardiologist before you can do the discomfort of not giving the best care. To me, that's moral injury. And we don't describe it that way because that seems rather prima donna <laughs> dramatic, but it is dramatic. Patients trust us to do the best thing for them and to not have what's the bottom line on how much it costs to run my clinic. They trust that we are not using those kinds of variables. And it's very interesting to me. I feel like we tend to be a very black and white society. A journalist reached out and wanted to get stories of doctors being told by insurance companies to write down the wrong diagnosis. That's pretty black and white, but it doesn't happen quite that way for most physicians, right? Number one, the insurance company doesn't talk to me. My practice manager talks to me or the hospital administrator talks to me. They don't tell me to do the wrong thing. They just remind me that if I put more diagnoses on there that the patient really does have, that we'll get paid more and we're just doing the right thing in the system, right? And so I think that gray zone of what's truly overbilling. Yes, there's times that as a surgeon, I have to think really hard about patients having diabetes and Absolutely. That's part of the diagnosis that I talk to them about at this visit beyond just endometrial cancer. And for most of us who've been in practice, it's happened slowly and gradually. And the rationalization of we're doing the best we can, as opposed to I'm here today, every minute with every patient I see to do the best for them as individuals. That's a space I think we have to empower physicians to feel comfortable in again. I think you touched on my next question for you, uh, Dr. Singh, because you specialize in women's illnesses that leave patients emotionally and physically exhausted and vulnerable. And this must be difficult, very difficult for you too. Will you please talk about your understanding of how moral injury impacts your relationships with your patients? You've talked about it a little bit. Do you have anything that you can add to that? There's so many levels to that that question. It's a great question. We did talk a little bit about it already, but I think, Karen, if for patients, they want to trust us and they should be able to trust us. And the weaving in of money and profit is really challenging. Where I am now, I think certainly for many years, I felt very comfortable apologizing for the system. A patient deserves an apology, but do I need to apologize when a patient's insurance company just won't approve a PET scan? Do I need to apologize for a delay in surgery because we can't get it scheduled because we can't get it approved? What I've learned is I absolutely feel terrible. I do need to tell people, and I will. I'm so sorry, Mrs. Smith. I had told you we should do your surgery within a month, but we just can't get it scheduled. 
But then I do talk about why in a way that I don't own. Patients are very understanding of that. And that's the hardest thing in a way is that I say your insurance company is requesting information and it's been faxed to them twice and my office has talked to them and I've talked to them, but we haven't quite gotten it cleared yet. I don't know, truthfully, if it's the right thing, but I think it's the only thing we can do is share the information that's there. I think for a long time, for example, doctors didn't talk about financial toxicity of cancer care. And we didn't necessarily tell patients, this is more expensive than this. Sure, we told them about the side effects and the nausea and the vomiting that they might have. But when I don't know if United covers it different than Aetna covers it different than Blue Cross Blue Shield covers it, it's really hard to be responsible for that. But in terms of my relationship with patients on a one-to-one level, I try to be as open with them about the process and support them as best we can. On a bigger picture, though, I do think that a patient who walks into my office today is less likely to trust me than a patient who walked in 10 years ago. And do I think she's wrong about that? I don't think she's wrong. She's heard the stories of people being recommended tests that they didn't need that then they had to go and get. And so are there reasons for at the outset without ever having had any interactions with me that people come in? with a different level of trust. Absolutely. Mm. You know, and I, and I think it makes it challenging for both of us, me and my patient, for us to go through the process of talking about a life-threatening illness that's going to require really challenging treatments, whether it's surgery or chemo or radiation or that combination. I think it is really hard. And I think this issue of moral injury is really tied to this trust and patient's trust that I will do the right thing for them, that my moral compass will lead me to recommend the best things for them. And that's not what we're always able to do. To some extent, a patient can really talk to me about what her life goals are. My goal is to make it to my daughter's wedding. And I understand I have limited time, but I'm willing to undergo some highly toxic therapy that maybe only has a 15% chance of working because maybe it'll get me to that time. Now, could I have that same conversation about I'm trying to decide if I should spend the $500 on whatever, a trip with my family or a new computer or something for my children, or should I spend it on this MRI so we can have better pictures of the ovary? That's a challenging space, and I'm not sure for me or a patient if we should be having those conversations, but maybe we should. But we certainly can't have them in a system where People get five minutes for a follow-up OBGYN visit and 15 minutes for a new visit or whatever it might be in whatever system. And to tie it to single payer, I do think that, that the chief moral injury, the main one that comes is the fight between the best thing for an individual patient and making money for a system. And, and that's the crux of the problem. Is it all the problems? It's not all the problems, right? We, we were talking earlier about integrative medicine and bringing in other aspects of care. And are we focusing enough on lifestyle? Nah. But certainly, as long as there is a third person in the system who's just trying to make money, that's going to disrupt that sense of trust and openness. And I think no matter what, nobody becomes a physician who isn't interested in doing the best thing for the patient, whether 
it's the patient in front of them or the research that they're doing for the 100 patients in their study or for everybody with ovarian cancer, but ultimately trying to do the best that we can for people, give them the longest, best quality life we can, help them make the best decisions. Those things, those things only suffer when we bring money and finances into the conversation when there's a third party who's making money from this, not making decisions about the best way to spend the money we have. You've basically answered my last question, but if you would like to add to it, what is your prescription for healthcare? Certainly, I think we have lots of prescriptions. I think the idea that we take the profit motive out and that we don't waste our money on administration and paying billers and paying people to figure out what Aetna covers and what United covers, but we take that money and we spend it on health. I think that's a huge part of the prescription for healthcare. The other pieces of does American medicine need to own lifestyle and prevention and what are all the ways we live that impact our health and the health of the people around us? I think we need to do that too. I think that's also part of the solution. But again, I think if we took the profit motive out that led us to use diagnoses that made us focus on diseases instead of health, I think maybe we never would have gotten to that messy place that we don't own. We, when I say we, I see in American medicine and the medical system that we don't own prevention. I laugh actually like that we actually have something called lifestyle medicine. Like lifestyle medicine, what is that? Isn't that all of medicine? (laughs) How we live? Regardless, I'm I'm glad people are studying, and I'm not saying that I'm, I'm not happy about that. Dr. Singh, thank you so much for taking time to join with us today. Uh, we welcome and we appreciate all your sharing and your wealth of knowledge and experience. Thank you guys so much for doing this and for um, introducing these topics to people. Um, it's wonderful that there's an interest and for people who are going through, I focus on cancer, but going through cancer treatments and dealing with these issues of their mortality being challenged and thinking about the quality of life and how much life they have, it's really hard to imagine that how much money they have becomes a part of that equation. And I think the more we talk about it, the more we're going to solve the problems that we have. This is Karen Greenstone along with Dr. Rob Stone for Prescription for Healthcare on WFHB Community Radio in Bloomington, Indiana. To your good health, everyone, stay safe and thank you for listening. We may never see this moment, a place and time again. If not now, if not now, tell me.